Hey everyone, my name is Josh Scroggins, I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope this series has been encouraging to you. As always, if it has, if you find it useful, if you find it helpful, if you find it encouraging, please share this with somebody. And hopefully we can get the word out and this this podcast can bless more people. Um, like Like it, share it, rate it, review it, all of that stuff. It all helps. Philippians 1, 6 says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. This has been our theme verse for this series. And a couple of uh, a couple of episodes back, I told you there is more to your story after failure. In the last episode, I told you there's more to your story after betrayal and In this episode, I'm going to tell you there is more to your story after loss. Now, the chances are very good that you have experienced loss in one form or another. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a dream, the loss of a marriage, the loss of relationship, the loss of a job, the loss of security, loss of trust, loss of faith, loss of direction. You get the idea. Loss, sadly, is a part of life. It can be painful. It can even have lasting effects in our lives that will persist until the very end of our lives. For those who have lost a child, a husband, a wife, a good friend, or a parent to death, you know that life is just never quite the same afterwards. The topic in this episode is going to be heavy, but I promise you this. The purpose of this series, the purpose of this episode is hope. And I promise you this, that it ends in hope. My purpose in this episode is not to diminish the tragedy or the pain of loss. It is only to remind you that your entire story is not over just because you've experienced it. The story we're going to look at in this episode deals with this subject in a way that will relate to most, if not all of us. So don't check out mentally thinking this isn't for you. Don't back up and clear this out and say, well, you know, I haven't lost a loved one uh, or yeah, I haven't lost a kid or whatever. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't rob yourself. Don't, don't miss out on something that could be potentially impactful and, and um, important for your life. I assure you, this message applies to you. And if it does not apply to you right now in this moment, it will at some point. And so what I'm going to share with you is something that I believe is going to equip you, is going to empower you, is going to inspire you, and is going to make you ready for when the time comes that you may need this. 
In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, we read about a woman who lived in a place called Shunem, and her story is one that is powerful and devastating, but also inspiring and encouraging. So let's read through the first part of it so we can understand the background of what happens later. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Now, a day came when Elisha went over to Shunem, and there was a prominent woman. I'm going to stop right there for just a second to explain one word in this passage. Um, I use the New American Standard Bible. That's just kind of my preference. Um, generally speaking, it's it's very accurate. But this particular word, prominent, it could describe this woman. I think it probably did describe this woman. However, <clears throat> the original language, uh, there's a, there's perhaps a better word that could be used here. And the word is great. In fact, that's actually what the original word in the, in the language means. It means great. Now, it can mean prominent. It can mean status. It can mean wealth. She probably had all of that. But it also implies character. It also implies a lot of other things that maybe prominent does not, but we would associate with a great person. And this is, in fact, a great woman. What is interesting is we never learn her name. So let's let's read through this again. There, there came a day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a prominent or great woman. She urged him to eat food. It's amazing to me because I can just tell you, you don't usually have to urge the preacher to eat food. <laughs> Give us the invite. We're there. And it must have been good because the Bible goes on to say, and so it was as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She must have been a good cook or had a good cook on staff. Then she said to her husband, behold, now I'm aware this is a holy man of God passing by us repeatedly. Please, let's make him a little walled upper room. Let's set up a bed for him there, take a table, a chair, a lampstand, and then it shall be that when he comes to us, he can turn in there. This was a great woman, but again, we don't know her name. I actually believe that the most incredible people in history are those whose names we actually don't know. They're people that I think when we get to heaven, we are going to be amazed at how many times our lives, the course of our life, and maybe even our eternal destination was affected by people whose names we don't know and the impact that they had. You know, this, this woman sees a need and she offers to serve this man of God some food. And since he stops by often, she decides with her husband's consent, smart husband, to build a simple room for him to stay in. And I, I, I say simple because I think this really hints at the heart of this woman. You know, a lot of people, if they were in her position and they were wanting to provide for this prophet, they would not have created a room like this. They would have put the most elaborate furniture. They would have brought in paintings. They would have had the finest bed and, you know, the silk sheets and all the expensive because it would have been trying to show off their wealth or even show off their generosity where the gift would not have been as much about meeting the need as it would be about fulfilling the ego of the giver. That's not what she does. This was not some extravagant room to show off her wealth. This was not uh, some extravagant uh, 
set up for the prophet so that she could buy favor from God. That's not what this was. She simply saw a need and met the need. This room was very simple. It was just a, a it had four walls. It was a walled upper chamber, walled upper room, had a bed, a table, a chair, and a light. That's it. It shows the heart of this woman who, <clears throat> even though great, prominent, wealthy, I mean, clearly they had some land. We'll see that in a second. They, uh, they had all of that. They could have made the room much nicer. But I think this was, um, this was a, a, a woman who understood also that, you know, this prophet does not stay here often and it would be a waste. She was a steward. She was a good steward. This was a great woman. The story goes on in verse 11 to say, Now one day he came there, speaking of Elisha, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he turned into the upper room and he rested. Then he said to his servant, Gehazi, call this Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say to her, behold, you have taken trouble for us with all of this care. What can I do for you? Would you have me speak to the king for you? I know him. I'm, I, I, I can do that. Or maybe the commander of the army. But she answered, I live among my own people. In other words, I'm okay. I don't need anything. Everything I have uh, or everything I need, I've already got. I didn't do this to get something from you. I just did this because I saw a need that I could I could meet. And I wanted to bless you. And So he says to Gehazi, his servant, he says, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, It is a fact that she has no son. And her husband is old. So he said to her, I said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season next year, you are going to embrace a son. And she said, no, no, my Lord, you man of God, do not lie to your servant. That's an emotional response. And yet, we're told here in scripture, verse 17, that the woman conceived and gave birth to a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had told her. You know, we've, uh, we've talked about this before, but in ancient cultures, the inability to have children carried with it a really great stigma. Even today, some people feel this, but back then it was much stronger. To have no son meant that you were, at least to some, you were cursed by God. Now, I, I want to be clear here. We, um, we often hear that this woman had no children, but we don't know that. We, we don't know that. Scripture does not say she didn't have children. Scripture only tells us she had no son. She may have had daughters. She may have had a lot of daughters. She may have had no daughters. I don't know. She may have been barren or she may have, for some reason or another, they may have never been able to have a son. I don't know. <clears throat> what I can tell you is this, is that in that culture, if you had no son and you had only daughters, to some it meant you were cursed by God. Your family line was being wiped out. It was not a good thing to have happened to you. And, and what's more than that, to have no son was to have no one to provide for you in your old age. I mean, it was very hard for women to find work compared to men, especially in that day and age. It's, it's the reason why the Bible commands people to take care of widows, 
because it was difficult for widows to take care of themselves, even if they were young widows. It was, it was hard for them to, to find jobs and provide for themselves. What's more than that, to have no son meant no one would carry on your family name since the woman would take the name of the man she married. This woman, this Shunammite woman, was a great woman who likely had everything else in her life that she wanted, but she had no son. When Elisha told her that she would give birth to a son, she simply could not believe it. This was her dream. Likely she had a lot of pain attached to the subject given her response. No, my Lord, you man of God, do not lie to your servant. That was her response. Not a thank you, but flat out denial that kind of sounded like a rebuke. And yet one year later, she indeed gave birth to a son just as the prophet foretold. Now, this is where I want to, for a moment, just relate this story to us, to put us in the shoes of this great moment. This is the moment you received your gift from God. You got married. You got that job. You had your son or your daughter. You graduated. You got the house. And you were elated. You were ecstatic. You were on top of the world. You might remember that moment even right now. But what about the room you built before it? See, this woman's gift came from God, but it came as a result of the room she built for the prophet. Had she not built the room, this conversation with Elisha would not have happened. Had she not reached out and taken care of the prophet and provided food for him, this conversation would have never happened. Remember, the whole purpose of this conversation was Elisha saying, what can we do for her because of what she has done for us? Because there was faithfulness, because there was generosity, because this woman had taken what God had given her and she used it to bless his prophet. And maybe, just maybe, your gift was the same. In fact, I would say that likely it is the same. That the gift from God that you have was preceded by a room you had built. Maybe your room was the prayer you spent beforehand, asking God for that perfect husband or wife before you got married, before you met them. Maybe it was the change in your spending and saving habits that allowed you to save up the down payment for your house. Or maybe it was years of being disciplined in your habits that allowed you to work in a way that got you that promotion. Or the hard work you put into your studies that allowed you to graduate. So whatever it was, if you look hard enough, I bet you will see somewhere that there was a room you built before you got your gift from God. Now, there are some exceptions to this, of course, but, and I want to be very clear, by the way, I'm not saying you earn gifts from God. You can't. If you earn something, it's a wage. It's not a gift. I'm not saying that we can earn salvation. I'm not saying that we earn blessings. I'm simply saying that there is a principle that shows up in God's word over and over and over and over again. And the principle is simply this. God blesses us the most when we are being faithful in what he has already given us. If God can trust you with a little, then he can trust you with much. 
In fact, it was Jesus who said that. That he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. There's an entire parable he teaches about the, called the parable of the talents, dealing with this very subject. If we are faithful with what he has already given us, then God can trust us with more. And our faithfulness with what he has given us is the room I'm talking about. It is the thing that God blesses us because of. This woman was faithful with what God had given her. God had given her uh, status. God had given her wealth. God had given her property. God had given her a husband who who actually respected her enough to where she could do this. I mean, you got to understand, in, in many ways in the ancient world, women did not have that kind of authority to make those decisions. But clearly, this husband respected this woman enough that he went with her on this. They did this together. God had given her a lot of these blessings, a lot of these things already. And she used them to bless Elisha. She saw that he was hungry and she brought him in and fed him. She saw that that he needed a place to stay and they built a room. They didn't they didn't waste it. This was not her uh, showing off. The room was simple. She was being a good steward. And so, as a result of that, God blessed her. Again, there's some exceptions to that. I mean, there are times that God blesses us and we did nothing. Absolutely nothing. If anything, we were doing the opposite things that we should be doing. But generally speaking, the, the blessings that God sends come when we are being faithful with what he's already given us. The, the story here goes on in verse 18 to say, When the child was grown, the day came when he went to his father, went out to his father, to the reapers. And, and he said to his father, My head, my head. And his father said to his servant, This is such a dad answer right here. Carry him to his mother. (laughs) But then the story takes a turn. Because when they had carried him and brought him to his mother, this boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. Now we reach the crisis point for this great woman. Her son came to her with a pain in his head, and she had to helplessly watch him suffer for hours until he died. I can tell you this, that as a new parent, there are few pains worse than seeing your child suffer and being able to do nothing about it. Seeing them in pain, seeing them hurting, and knowing you cannot fix it. I don't know what time this boy went out to the field to his father saying, my head, my head. What I can tell you is that if you talk to farmers, you'll find out that they begin really early in the morning. And the chances are very, very good that this happened for hours. This woman had to watch her son suffer for hours, sitting in her lap until he died. This boy that is her dream is now lifeless in her arms. This son that was supposed to be a blessing from God is dead. And now the story seems to have ended. 
This is the moment of loss. This is where that loved one has died. This is where the dream has died. This is where we got the husband or wife, but now they've betrayed our trust. This is where we got that house, but then the real estate market crashes. This is where we graduate from college, but then we lose our direction in life. Because the degree that we thought we were going to have open all of these doors to all of these jobs and careers, all of a sudden, none of the doors are opening. And we're wondering now if what we did in college even mattered or if the degree we picked was the right one. And now the direction that we had is lost. See, this story is about the death of a boy, but it's about more than that. It's about the death of a dream. It's about the death of hope, the death of trust, the death of love, the death of security, the death of confidence, the death of peace. This story is your story. This story is my story. This story is the human story. Loss is a part of every story. But there's more to your story than your loss. Some of you listening to this are in the throes of loss right now. You've lost someone that you love. You have lost your hope. You have lost your faith. You're trying to answer the question that we all have to answer in such moments. Where do I go from here? And that question is the right question, but unfortunately, so many people have the wrong answer. Here's the right one. Take your need back to your room. You remember the room I talked about earlier? Go back to it. Do you remember the way that you trusted God to give you that husband or wife before they broke your trust? Trust God like that again. Surrender yourself and them into his hand Again, do you remember how you relied on God to give you direction when you picked your major in college before you lost your direction? Rely on him for direction now, just like you did then, and work towards it again. Do you remember how you leaned on God to help you save for a down payment to your house before the market changed? Lean on God now as you did before get back to budgeting again. Do you remember how you prayed for that child? Do you remember how you trusted God to take care of your child as they grew before they died? Trust God to take care of your son or daughter now as his arms wrap around them in heaven. And trust God to take care of you as you mourn, grieve, and heal. Remember what it was that God blessed in the beginning and return to it. Take your need to that place again because, and I want you to get this, the place of your faithfulness from earlier will be the place of your healing now. I'm going to say that again. The place of your faithfulness from earlier will be the place of your healing now. That is why it is so important that we build rooms whenever and wherever we can. 
That's why it is so important that we are faithful with what God gives us whenever we can be, however we can be, wherever we can be. Because we never know when we will need that room. Now I'm going to summarize the next bit. The Shunammite woman takes her son to the room that she had built earlier. She lays him on the bed of the prophet that she had paid for. She then asks her husband to send her a servant and a donkey so that they can go to the prophet. And in modern English, he basically says, why are you going to church today? It isn't Sunday. (laughs) She tells him it's going to be fine. Not much of an answer. Then she saddles the donkey and tells her servant to go as quickly as possible. She arrives at Mount Carmel. Elisha sees her at a distance. He sends Gehazi to answer or to ask her three questions. Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? She responds with one word. Now, I know in your English translations, it's more than one word. But in the original language, she replies with one word. And that word is shalom. That's, that's the word. And then, and then that word gets translated into a different things in English. And usually it gets translated into either it is well or it is going well. But her response was shalom. Shalom means peace. In the midst of her turmoil, in the midst of her pain, how could she possibly reply with that word? The servant specifically asked her, is it well with your son? And she replied, peace. How could she have peace in a moment like that? How is it possible to have peace like that? It's because she knew that her need was in the room. And she knew that the one who gave her the gift was still in control. We're going to come back to that verse in a moment, but let's finish the story. She runs up to Elisha. She grabs a hold of his feet. Gehazi starts to try to pull her off. Elisha stops him and says, hey, her spirit is grieved. God won't tell me what it is. I need to know what's going on. And then she begins to chew the prophet out. <laughs> she says, did I ask us ask you for a son? Did I ask for a son from you? Did I not say, do not give me false hope? And at this, Elisha knows something's wrong with the boy. So he tells his servant, take his staff, go lay it on the boy. Let the staff handle it. <laughs> Too many leaders, oftentimes. That's their response. Let the staff handle it. And she basically tells him, look, staff can do whatever you want. It can go wherever it wants to go. I did not come for the staff. I came for you. I'm not leaving you. So Gehazi does what he's told, comes back to Elisha and says, hey, the staff couldn't do the job. So Elisha goes to the room with the mother. He lays on the boy face to face, hand to hand, and the boy's body becomes warm. He does it again. The boy sneezes seven times, opens his eyes, and is alive again. The mother picks up her son and leaves. Now, I've already told you that the purpose of this message is to give you hope. So let me do that now. There's more to your story than your loss. God is in the business of healing, restoring, reviving, and rebuilding. 
God can breathe new life into dead dreams. God can breathe new love into dead marriages. God can breathe fresh hope into fearful hearts. He can breathe fresh perspective into confused minds. God can breathe new finances into bankrupt situations. If we are willing to take our need back to the room of our trust and our faithfulness, God can heal us and make us new. Pastor, what about my lost loved ones? God didn't bring them back from the dead. Look, I I certainly believe that God can raise the dead. In fact, he still does that today. But often God works in another way. Sometimes, instead of bringing them back to us, he chooses to wait to bring us to them. But either way, God wants to heal you now while you wait to be reunited with the one that you lost. And that healing will take place in the room you built earlier. That is how you can have peace. Shalom. Now let's go back to the verse I mentioned earlier. I don't often use old-fashioned King James. I find it hard to read myself. Um, But I do want to use the original King James here for a very specific reason. 2 Kings 4.26 says, Run now, I pray thee, to meet her. Say to her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Horatio G. Spafford was a prominent American lawyer from Chicago in the mid-1800s. He and his wife, Anna, were committed supporters and close friends of D.L. Moody, the famous preacher. In 1870, hardships attacked their life. The Spafford's only son was killed by scarlet fever at age four. A year later, a fire ravaged real estate holdings along the shore of Lake Michigan that Horatio had heavily invested in, and in 1871, every one of these holdings was destroyed by the Great Chicago Fire. His son had died. And now the real estate holdings that they had were gone. Needing a sabbatical from the stress of these disasters, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday or vacation to England. It would be a combination of rest and helping D.L. Moody as he traveled around Britain on one of his great evangelistic campaigns. Horatio and Anna planned to join Moody in late 1873, and so the Spaffords traveled to New York in November to catch the French steamer Villa de Havre across the Atlantic. Just before they set sail, a last-minute business development caused Horatio to delay. Instead of letting his family lose their holiday, he persuaded them to go on as planned, and then he would follow later. 
Anna and her four daughters sailed east to Europe while Spafford returned to West Chicago. Nine days later, Spafford received a telegram from his wife in Wales, and it read, Saved Alone. See, on November 2nd, 1873, the Villa de Havre had collided with the Lockhart, an English vessel. It sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 people. Anna Spafford had stood bravely on deck with her daughters Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and Tanetta, clinging desperately to her. Her last memory had been of her baby being torn violently from her arms by the force of the waters. Anna was only rescued from the fate of her four daughters by a plank which floated beneath her unconscious body and propped her up. When the survivors of the wreck had been rescued, Miss Spafford's first reaction was one of complete despair. And then she heard a voice speak to her, You were spared for a purpose. And she was immediately recalled the words of a friend, it's easy to be grateful and good when you have so much, but take care that you are not a fair-weather friend to God. Upon hearing the terrible news, Horatio Spafford boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife, Bertha Spafford, later the fifth daughter of Horatio and Anna, was born later. Bertha explained that during her father's voyage, the captain of the ship had called him to the bridge a careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe that we are now passing the place where the de Havre was wrecked. The water is three miles deep. In other words, we are now at the place where your wife and daughters sank, where your wife was rescued, where your daughters died. I believe that we are now in that location. <laughs> Horatio then returned to his cabin and penned the lyrics to what would have become or what would become a famous hymn. Likely, he used a King James version of the Bible, as did pretty much everyone. And the words of the hymn that he penned on that boat, after learning the death of his four daughters, after passing the location where his four daughters died, the words of this hymn come from 2 Kings 4.26. The words are as follows. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, <clears throat> is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live, if Jordan above me shall roll. No pang shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. 
O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. Then the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Those words were written by a man whose son had died at the age of four just a few years earlier, who had lost most, if not all, of his retirement, who had lost his four daughters in tragic, tragic circumstances, and sits down to pen the words, It is well with my soul. How is it possible that Horatio could pen those words? The fact of the matter is that to those who are not Christian, to those who do not understand our faith, that seems absurd. But we know better. We know that the God who began a good work in us will complete it. We know that death in this life is not the end of the story. We know as Christians that our story is not over after loss. There is more to your story than your loss. Because death is not the end. And as Christians, we know that. Yes, death still hurts. Loss still hurts. But they are not the end. No matter the troubles, no matter the pain, no matter the sorrows, find your way back to trust in God. And you will be able to know within yourself that it is well. God is still in control. God is still working. Horatio G. Spafford knew he would see his children again. And he knew that God was still in control. That is how he was able to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. There is more to your story than your loss. Get back to your room. Get back to trust. Get back to faith. Get back to hope. Get back to prayer. Get back to worship. Get back to faithfulness. And allow God to do a healing work in your heart. And you will find there's more to your story. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.